Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Good to see everyone. Can we thank our band again? I'm so grateful for their leading us in this space. And I want to take a moment and welcome everybody who's here in the service, everybody online, all of our campuses or micro communities from wherever you are. We're honored, honored, honored to have you with us. And let me do a shout out for anybody who's here visiting into South Florida for Thanksgiving. Can we just give a welcome to these folks this morning? Honored to have you guys with us. Hey, um, before we get started, I want to mention one other thing. Trevor uh, made me think of something here. Um, next week, you're going to start to hear about something that's an annual tradition here at Community of Hope. We've been observing this for many years, but we have so many folks who are new right now, even though uh, lots of folks are away this weekend for Thanksgiving. But um, we do a Christmas missions offering across December. And what we do is we raise extra dollars to support our local mission partners and our international partners. And across the next year, what we'll do is we'll take that money that we get, uh, gather in December, we'll give it all away in, in uh, across the next year, starting in January across the next year. So a few years ago when we uh, commissioned this idea, I had some wise, smart folks in our church say, this is an awesome idea. Why don't you remind everybody right before Black Friday to hold money back? And I thought, that's a great idea. So I'm your reminder. I'm your reminder. So we're going to be doing that in December. It's coming your way and just wanted to uh, mention that to you. Um, So all right, grab your Bible, grab your app, grab your notes. We're going to dive right in. I have a lot of stuff I want to move us through today. We are in the last week of a series. We're calling the series Deep Peace. Say it with me. Deep Peace. Say it like you mean it deep peace. And we're not, we're talking about peace, not just peace, but we're talking actually about deep peace and what we're exploring together on all of our campuses, what it looks like to walk with greater peace in our lives and what has fast become for many of us, you know, a season of anxiety right now uh, in our world. How many of you would say, I feel it? Can you say it? Awesome. Well, I didn't mean say it, but just like acknowledge it. Okay. But anyhow, So we started this series, if you're with us, and I want to commend these messages to you. We started a month ago, and we talked on uh, the first uh, topic we talked about was fear. And we define fear this way. Fear is present tense anxiety. And we talked about what it would mean for the peace of Christ to show up in some of our present tense anxiety. Uh, Then after that, we did a message on worry, and we define worry as future tense anxiety. And we, we looked at what is the peace of Christ? How does that manifest itself uh, in my future tensed anxiety? If you were with us last week, I thought our guys uh, did an awesome job talking about just the subject of anxiety. And they framed the subject around what we would define as internal well-being. How is it that you and I can sort of live in this peaceful space in better ways right now in what we're defining as a season of anxiety. So that's what we've been looking at, and we're going right at the exponential rise of anxiety and mental health issues in our culture and in our community. There's some startling statistics out there. Last week, we learned this, that nationally, adults diagnosed with some type of anxiety disorder, listen to this, has increased 
four times in the last two years. That's like an exponential rise of anxiety in our culture. I was reading an article that was sent to me uh, by some pastors that I am in community and relationship with, some of them uh, even here locally, and they were talking about um, that over this last year, the rise in adult suicide has gone up by 38% this year alone, which is just unbelievable. Uh, A month or so back, I was reading another article that was um, talking about like ministry fields of service. So pastors and those who serve on staff at churches and um, that over the last year, almost 40% have either transitioned in our nation, have either transitioned out or, or in serious conversations about transitioning out of Christian service. Isn't that alarming? I mentioned that to Beth and she said, don't read that article. (laughs) And I was like, okay. But this is like, all this stuff is going on right now. I have, many of y'all know I have a covenant group that I've been connected with, a group of pastors. We are now, um, I think in our 34th year of, of covenant relationship together, my two closest friends, Pastor George and Pastor Matthew, I want to show you, there they are right there. Aren't they weird looking people? But Anyhow, they are my best friends, and uh, they, um, we will often reach out to each other on a Monday, and we'll just say, don't hit send on the resignation letter. That was funnier at nine o'clock, but <laughs> anyhow, this is all this stuff is going on, but let me share with you a statistic embedded in all of this that's pretty alarming, and, and I want to share this to move us in a direction that I want us to talk about um, this morning and move us into this subject material. Um, those who write and those who study and make statistics around this, uh, kind, these kinds of topics have suggested this to us, that there is, there is almost no gradation, no difference uh, in all of these subjects and all of these uh, topics about anxiety over and against those who self-identify as followers of Jesus as against those who do not. Shouldn't that alarm us? I mean, right now, if you think about it, here we are as a group of people. I mean, many of us who identify as followers of Jesus, followers in the way. We have folks that are here that are navigating a walk with God. You're among friends. This is why our church is created. But let's just say a higher percentage of people right now in this room identify as followers of Christ. There's almost no difference between what is happening in this room and right now what's happening at Tar- or Target or at Costco. And I'm not saying all the, all the pagans are at Costco right now. But I'm just saying, should, should, that, should that bother us at all? I mean, is, it, it, it just reminds me of this kind of idea. Is there something that we don't understand and, uh, about the Christian experience that we have somehow not been able to make operational in our lines? Or is all of this a joke? And because I don't believe it's a joke, I believe the other one. There's something that we are not making operational about our faith. And because of that, we see such little difference between those who identify as followers of Christ around the subject of peace over and against those who do not. Years ago, I shared an observation of something that I read by G.K. Chesterton, who was an influential Christian philosopher and lay theologian in the 19th century. Some of you have heard me say this. 
that when he was uh, was surveying his Christian culture of the day in the 19th century, he observed this. He said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and often left untried. And so I think this is an epidemic. I think this is something we need to look at. And even more underneath all of this, you have to wonder, what is it that we actually do believe about the peace of God and the promises that we find in Scripture over and over and over again? Or even the promises of Jesus himself, who said words like this in John chapter 14 and verse 27, where he said this, peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not then let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And I would just say, right, I mean, we, we've been acknowledging, I think, every week in this series that, you know, that for some of us, there is a, there is a kind of anxiety that manifests itself that should involve medicine and the medical profession. We're going to say that. And, and I think it's fair to say that for all of us, all of us at different seasons in our lives struggle with uh, anxiety. I mean, it's almost like we in South Florida struggle with mosquitoes in July. They just sort of keep coming at you. But is there something more embedded in Holy Scripture that we could learn from that would teach us maybe how to handle this subject in a different way. And here's what I want to tell you, the good news. I think there is. And uh, if you've been with us, um, we have been really uncovering uh, what Paul said uh, to the church uh, in Philippi. And every week we've been sort of looking over this passage of Scripture. And today in the last installment of the series, what I want to do, I want us to read farther in than we have read yet and I, I want us to uncover what I think Paul says, that if we truly understand this, it'll move the needle for us in the right way. And so we're in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to read from 4, uh, beginning of verse 4, I'm going to take us down further than we've gone yet. So here we go. Paul says it this way, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, he says, rejoice Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not, he says, be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Then he says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or even heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. Now, watch what he says here. So I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you didn't have an opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in wealth in any uh, in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. For I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. 
Let's pray. You know, Lord, I, I just want to come to you on behalf of all of my friends, your friends too. And I want to pray right now, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open us to the deeper truth of Paul's teaching. That, God, you might help us as Paul has defined this moment in his own life, that we might come to the place today where we would be able to define that moment in our life. That we might learn what it is to experience the kind of peace that passes human understanding. And that that peace would guard our hearts and our minds. In Christ Jesus, this is our prayer offered in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So we've been studying this passage as a church. And what we've been doing is kind of moving the needle a little bit, kind of going a little bit further, a little bit further every time. And so that's what we've been doing in the series last week. If you're with us, uh, Trevor and Brandon worked us uh, through a part of the passage this morning. I want us to finish Paul's thoughts on the subject. Here's what I want you to know sort of contextually so that we can all get on the same page as we work through this together. So, so this is one of Paul's earlier writings, and he is writing to the church in Philippi, thanking those who gave money to him so that he could carry out his missionary journey. And so if you know anything about Paul's missionary journeys, this is what I would want you to know that would have relevance for what we're learning right now. There were three. And on Paul's uh, three missionary journeys, he, he would go out under the support and help of other Christians who had come to uh, identify as Christ's followers. Remember, the Christian faith became, uh, began um, you know, not around a person necessarily, certainly Jesus, but around an event, and the event was the resurrection. And so the, the, the Christian church is kind of moving out and taking, taking off. And Paul, in both of his missionary journeys, he wanted to go to Asia Minor. But he, but he was prevented by the Spirit to go to Asia Minor. So if you read in the book of Acts, you'll read these powerful passages where Paul is longing to go to this place. And the Spirit of God in a dream or through other people would speak to him and say, I don't want you to go there. Don't go there yet. And then finally, he has this dream where he dreams there's a, a person saying, come to this area. And, and, and people uh, paid for that. He sets out on this third missionary journey, goes, and this is how the church of Philippi literally gets a start. Now, many years later, here's what I want you to know. Paul's in prison. He's under house arrest. He's in Rome. He has lots of time on his hands. He's wondering about his life. Will his life continue? Will, will he live? Will he survive? And so what Paul does is he's writing a, a letter of gratitude to that church, thanking him for, thanking them for his service. And, and what he does as he writes this letter, what's kind of interesting, uh, in a way is here he is in this uncertain future and he's reminding the church and now reminding us through the church, listen to this, that God can be trusted, that his promises are true, and that we can all live with a greater and ascending sense of his peace in our lives. How many of you would just go, I want that? One of the reasons um, I think Paul is such a great example for those of us who want to live the Christian experience is because so much of his life is lived out in the context of Holy Scripture. We, get, we don't get a little picture of who he is. We get to see the transformation of this man 
into what I think it means to be a fully orbed, fully devoted follower of Christ. That's the mission of our church. We exist to interest people in Jesus Christ and grow them into fully devoted followers of him. All the way. We want to go all the way in. And so Paul, in his earlier writings, you'll, he'll make statements like this. He, he, he'll refer to himself as a bondservant. I'm like special. And then at the end, in 2 Timothy, he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. This downward ascendancy that he has grown into. But in this, um, in, in this letter of gratitude, what, what I find that I think is so incredibly powerful is that he uses a phrase that I want to point out to you. And it's the only time he uses it in all of his writings. And he says this, I have learned the secret. Say it with me. I have learned the secret. And I, if you have half a brain, uh, when anybody says that to you, I, I have learned the secret, what is the most natural thing we're going to say? Tell us the secret. And this is what I think is going on here. And so because this is so powerful and because I think there's a tendency for us to misunderstand, I thought, you know what? I'm going to build this last talk in this series around the three words that are embedded in that phrase. Learned the secret. And so first of all, I want to talk to you, if you're taking notes, I just want to talk to you about the word learned. This is how Paul begins to bring all of his thinking to bear in this phrase. He says, I have learned. And as I've mentioned, this is unique. It's the only time he says this in his writings. And, and I find in this phrase, honestly, that it's incredibly redemptive because it means really that if he has learned, it means that maybe we can learn too, Right? that maybe there's, there's hope for us. You know, some of us right now are struggling and there's anxiety, there's stuff going on and, and we're going, Lord, can I, can I learn how to manage this better? Can, can, can I, can I move, can, can there be some movement in, in my life? And I think there can actually be some movement in, um, often when at Community of Hope, when we talk about the Christian life, we talk about it not as something that we try hard to do, but something that we train around. And uh, I have said for years that there's, it, there's, one, there's one thing to be around Christian things. It's a whole other thing to, to grow in maturity in the Christian experience. Years ago, I've shared this story, I believe, that in the early days of our church, um, right after the hurricanes, back in 05, how many of y'all were still here when all that happened? Some of us remember that. And uh, we were in the high school auditorium. We were over at Royal Palm High. And, and the church wasn't really growing super fast at that point because everybody was moving out. There was all this disarray from the hurricanes. And, and, and I told Kathy Copan, who directs our, our, our discipleship ministry in our church, I said, we should, we should really help people learn what it is to be a follower of Christ and, 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 and walk in discipleship. And so we started this class we taught in the band room at Royal Palm High. And we would go into the band room and, and I would teach. And she said, just teach what you think is the essence of the Christian experience. And I would go in and do this. And she would sit in the back and take notes. And then we'd meet for coffee at Starbucks on Monday. And she'd say, remember when you said that? And I'd go, yeah. And she'd go, don't say that anymore. Remember when you were talking about that? Yeah, that, nobody cares about that. And I was like getting discouraged. And, and then when I would say certain things, people would perk up and they would listen. And so she would write it down. She'd go, say less of this, say more of that. 
because people are connecting with that. And one of the things I said was there's just a difference between knocking around Christian experiences and going on into full maturity in Christ. And this is what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. And one of the things that I noticed that I, I, I want to point out to you is this idea that, you know, that oftentimes embedded within the idea of learning is the idea that when presented with new and or better information, we unlearn what wasn't accurate or correct. So listen to me. Part of learning is unlearning. Does that make sense? If we're going to learn, sometimes every now and again, we have to unlearn. I remember one time one of my pastor friends in a covenant group led this guy to Christ in his church, and he had just come from this really difficult experience. There was a lot of addiction. There was a lot of brokenness in his trajectory and in his life. And like many of us, he had gotten this idea that he could never fully come to Christ because if Christ knew who he was, he wouldn't accept him. And I remember Pastor Joe talking about him, man, that's not true. Like Jesus loves us where we are. He wants to move us to new, to this new place. And finally he, he, he got to experience this and he stepped into faith and he would come to church and he was super excited. But here's what Joe said. And I'll tell you, sometimes we talk about this. So I want you to, to understand this, but he would always come to the service that was the least emotional and the least engaging. And he was, so watch, he's super excited, but he'd come in and everybody was kind of like this. And, and, and finally, you know, Joe was talking about this and the guy came to him and he talked, he said, man, he said, is it really true that Jesus forgives sins? Yes. Is it really true that he wants to live his life through me? Yes. Is it really true that he wants me to live my life on mission and that I can make an eternal difference? Yes. And he goes, how come nobody else is excited about that? And Joe said, you're coming to the wrong service. So I want to say, 9 and 10.30, we're judging you right now. Okay? And, and when Joe was telling me about this experience later, listen to exactly how he said it. He said he was excited about his faith. He had not, listen, he had not yet learned not to be excited about his faith. Do you hear that? And so what Paul is talking about here, sometimes we have to unlearn what's wrong so we can step into what's right. And, and I thought about this in a more specific way because I think right now, if I could go right at it, I think there's a lie in our culture that forces us to identify ourselves in ways we never should. And we pick up all these uh, identities. Last week, Pastor Trevor was uh, preaching, did a great job. He shared this incredible insight that he talked about little Susie, how Susie loves Winnie the Pooh. Remember that? And he said, Winnie the, he said, I'm learning that Winnie the Pooh always gets stuck in certain situations. And I thought, that's how so many of us are in our Christian experience. We just sort of get stuck. We take on this identity that's not ours. I was thinking about Winnie the Pooh. Well, one of the other characters in Winnie the Pooh is what? Eeyore. How many of y'all remember Eeyore? Always depressed. It's always negative. We have like, we have that even experience in, in, in the Christian faith, we, we have Thomas. We don't talk about Thomas. We talk about who? Doubting Thomas, right? He was always negative. Let's go to Jerusalem, Jesus. We'll die with you. <laughs> but God wants to do something different. And what if the way, what if the way we've identified ourselves 
doesn't represent the fullest picture of what God is pulling us toward? What if there actually is something else? It's kind of interesting for us to consider that idea. The truth is, all of us put our hope in things that don't ultimately satisfy us. Paul did the same thing. If, if we're reading in cha- uh, Philippians chapter 4, if you only go back one chapter to chapter 3, Paul makes this observation. He says in verse 4 of chapter 3, he says, Though I myself have reasons for confidence... If someone else thinks they should have reasons to put confidence in the flesh or their accomplishments, I have more. As a Jew circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And in the very next statement, you know what he says? It's all rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. He talks about going on. Could part of the secret be that you and I need to go on? That we need to step out of the ways we've been defined or step out of the ways we define ourselves and go on? Last week was um, kind of a fun week for me. So you have to understand that when uh, Community of Hope began, it was, it was, it was, it was my family, basically. And, uh, and, and it's so humbling and powerful to see in a way that it's grown past that, and it's, it's not that, and, and that we can watch right in front of our eyes younger leaders stepping in and just honoring Jesus and doing such a great thing. So last week, whenever I'm not in the preaching rotation, I get an opportunity to go to other campuses, and we're going to launch a Lake Worth campus. Uh, and we have right now, we have our East Campus in West Palm. Check that out, right? Remember East, West? I thought that would be funnier too. But <laughs> anyhow, um, I went over to the West Palm campus last week, and I saw Brandon preach, and Brandon crushed it. He did such an awesome job. Last week, in fact, he did such a great job. I took a picture of him. There he is. And uh, while I was over there preaching, I was sitting. All of the people that are a part of the future Lake Worth campus, they go to the West Palm campus, and they just all sit together, and they, they just cheer him on. And, and he did such a good job when it was over. It was like a mosh pit. They were all had their phones out, their lights, or like, <laughs> like a super powerful you know, kind of a thing. And Brandon was very candid sharing about his own anxiety. And he said this, made this comment, and he talks about sometimes his brain is wired in a way. He said, I call it Brandon's spiraling loop of doom. Isn't that great? And he said this, and, and he gave an example. He said it would be like this. This is how my brain works. It would be nice to have a dog. If I have a dog, one day when we have kids, we can teach our kids about the dog. But then one day the dog will die, and we'll have to explain to them how the dog died which reminds me that one day I will die and someone will have to explain to them that I'm dead. I better not get a dog. 
And I'm listening to my son-in-law say this, and I thought, my gosh, you need to see like a counselor, right? Like, you're jacked up. And so afterwards, I was talking to Brandon, and I said, you know, that was such a, uh, for those of you that know the Enneagram, that was such an Enneagram thing to say. You're like an Enneagram six, which is a loyalist, which, you know, they favor security and safety. And I said, that would have been better explained. I said, why didn't you tell him that you're an Enneagram six? And here's exactly what Brandon said. He goes, I didn't share that because that's just a type of my personality. It doesn't define me. And when he said that, I thought, maybe I need to see a counselor. (laughs) Okay. So here's the thing I want to ask you guys this morning. What defines you? And and, and one of the things that I, I, I think that Paul is getting at in the secret is that we learn our standing in Jesus Christ and we become fully immersive, fully immersed in what that could actually be. And that leads me to the next word. Paul says, I have learned, and then he says what? The. And for those of you who may not remember, I can help you. The word the, word the isn't just an article in the English language It's a definite article. So Paul is writing, and he's not saying there's a secret, like I've happened upon a secret. Paul is literally saying this. I have learned the secret. And so it it, it leads sort of the question, what, what if there's some things that we're not yet you know, making fully operational in our lives around the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that can change the trajectory of the peace quotient in our lives. This is such an exciting opportunity to really learn about this because what Paul is saying is that the secret of lasting peace comes when we begin to subordinate every other identifier around one thing. And that is the purpose of Jesus, uh, the person of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite authors, I quote him a lot, is the author Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard makes an observation. He says this, the single greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking need, with all of its heartbreaking anxiety, is really whether those who by profession or culture identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom and breaking that out into every corner of human existence. I was reading recently from Kay Warren, Rick Warren's wife, who knows a lot, I think, about purpose and a lot about living with anxiety and a lot about loss. And Kay Warren made this observation. I thought it was so powerful. She said, you know, I used to think that life came in waves. There was the wave of good and of the good and pleasant circumstances followed by the wave of unpleasant and difficult circumstances or that life was a series of hills and valleys and sometimes we're up, you know, and sometimes we're down. But I've come to now realize that life is much more like a set of parallel train tracks with joy and sorrow running inseparably throughout all of our days. 
She goes on to say, every day there's beauty and accomplishment and pleasure and fulfillment, but buried within that, there's also disappointment and challenge and struggle and loss. And we will never be able to outsmart one for the other because often at the very moment we're experiencing pain, we are also aware of the sweetness of life and the beauty yet to be found. Paul says, I have learned the secret. And I would like to say to you this morning, this is the only time he's ever used this language. We can define it as mystery, something we discover through personal experience. But here's what I've learned. Secrets aren't loud. They're not demonstrative, right? We learn when we're very young as a little boy or a little girl, right, that some, somebody comes to us and they say, I have a secret. And they tell us. John Mark Comer has written a powerful book I just finished and titled Live No Lies. I think it's a must read really for all of us who want to grow in our faith. And he talks about the lies that are often uh, pervading our culture right now. But he says this, he goes, our deepest desires, listen to this, are never our loudest desires. They're the ones that meet us when life slows down and they whisper to us. So I think there, there's hope for us this morning because Paul knew what it is to live with anxiety and he knew what it is to live with worry and he knew what it is to live with a sense of his internal well-being off. But all through his life, there was a progression toward contentment. And he reached this place that wherever he was, he learned the secret that he could do all things through Christ. That he's there. That he loves us unconditionally. That he has good things in store. That he's for us, not against us. You know my prayer? Thanksgiving week, 2021. All of us will learn the secret. This morning, we're going to close in a little bit of a different way than we normally do. I think the band is going to come. They're going to lead us in a song. And when they lead us in this song, I've asked Pastor Trevor to help me and be over here. I'm going to be over here. And we brought uh, oil. And there's a, there's a rhythm in the early church where they would anoint people with oil, and it said this, whenever they anointed people with oil, their sins would be forgiven and they would be healed. And so this morning, if you are struggling with anxiety, maybe maybe just even the circumstances of this week, I never forget that somebody uh, often says to me every, every time this year, I'm about to sit with family members that, you know, we're not all in the best place together. There's stuff. And I want to say that wherever you are, what, what Trevor and I would like to do for those that if you'd like to come, we want to, we're going to anoint your head with oil and the sign of the cross. We're going to pray God's mercy and God's peace over you. If you don't want to do that, we pray that you'll use the space in the chair 
to bring your anxiety to him and let God, by the power of his spirit, teach you the secret. Guys, will you lead us? And we all come as you feel led, Trevor.